and welcome back to the film real cast where we have the sequel of what happens to the man from Jurassic Park and we have the origin story of Neo's best friend from the Matrix Morpheus Event Horizon it's you hello mate how you doing you good very good excellent stuff yeah Event Horizon yeah it's a film that we put out on uh Twitter ages ago, I think it was that it was Twitter, Mortal Kombat, and what was the other one? Is it the what's that one about the uh, killer whale called? Uh, Blackfish. Yeah, Blackfish. Um, it's interesting that was... you put Mortal Kombat because this and Event Horizon are both directed by the same person. Exactly. Yeah, and everyone voted for this, which I was quite surprised. It was Mortal Kombat a long way, and then uh, I say the last couple of hours, it changed to Event Horizon. But as you say, yeah, um, directed by Paul Anderson in nineteen ninety seven. Um, and written by Philip uh, Philip Eisner. Um, Paul Anderson did um, Shopping, which I watched the other day, which is really violent, with um, this is Jude Law and... What's that, Frost? Is it Sophie Frost, is it? A birdie, uh, birdie Married, I think, didn't he? I haven't seen... I haven't seen, um, I haven't seen Shopping. Uh, I've seen, yeah, I've seen Mortal Kombat, Kombat and I've seen Event Horizon. What yeah, I'd like to say... All the, uh, the Re- uh, um, Resident Evil films. Yes, and that's where... Paul W. Anderson, in my opinion, became unstuck. Well, yeah, I mean, he did. Um, uh, that's where he met Mila Jovovich, whatever her name is, and yes. yeah, he, he did all of them in two thousand and two onwards, and then he kind of did Aliens versus Predator. Oh dear. Um, and then he did Death Race uh, one and two, so his career has kind of gone downhill. But but it's a massive thankfully shame. he started off. It is a massive shame because he's absolutely brilliant and. Thankfully, it started off with Mortal Kombat, which gave him the uh, backing and Paramount approached him to actually do this um, off the back of Mortal Kombat. And he really wanted to do an 18 and he's a massive Aliens fan. So, I mean, the direction of this, first of all, when he got the script was like a monster in space. But because Alien had been done already then, um, I don't know what year you're an an Alien fan, aren't you? I don't know what year the first one was done. Uh, 70s was the first one and then 80s was alien but yeah but i mean i think whether especially let's say especially the way the things are shot especially the first half of this film i think it's very very difficult not to compare it to alien yeah very much so and you kind of it's a mixture of alien and there's a real presence of hellraiser as well in this um which i watched the other day i don't know if you've seen hellraiser but it's very much on script with that, with regard like the Cenobite monsters in Hellraiser um, mm. and the torture in, that they do is uh, similar to the flashbacks that are seen. I mean, I saw the making of this on YouTube and the interviews with the cast. Like yes, Jason I saw Isaacs. that, the, the uh, link you sent me. They're yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, and there's just so much um, to this film in the background. I mean, it was filmed at Pinewood Studios, all in England, um, on the same stage as 007 in mm. their... Uh, their massive, massive shit they've got there, and like the wire works, the cost of the wire works. When this film, the budget was sixty million, and looking at the figures, it kind of bombed at the cinema a bit. But it was yeah, only when it went home video. But I think on a budget, um, and that thing mentioned, they did it all in in about ten months, which for like the, the, the sci-fi flick, and and for the budget, even even considering it was the late nineties, you know, ninety seven. Well, mid to late nineties, yeah. I thought what they managed to do, especially with the amount of practical effects they had, except I think I think was amazing when you actually consider the budget for 
yeah. you know the, the budget yeah. they had i mean i mean you look at films for example i'm not you know like jurassic park which which would have had a much bigger budget with 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 equally i'd say um, um you know spe- special effects etc and what they've managed to do on um i'm not not quite a shoestring budget i think you've got to give them a massive amount of credit considering also the fact they had, they had 10 months to do it so there wasn't really too much preparation was very limited as well yeah exactly and um when you compare it to other films that have bombed, which have got a much bigger budget on there, and all the like the interview and the facts that kind of go with this, such as the Event Horizon, was that like, the design of the spaceship was taken from pictures of a Notre Dame Cathedral in France, and a lot of the uh, the internal layout and the, like, the stained glass window effects do appear um, on the Event Horizon. And as I say, the Event Horizon. Um, they've got the name, as it's a, a boundary or a theoretical boundary around a, a black hole, which is very much a part in this film. And also when they interviewed uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Jason Isaacs about the uh, the spacesuits, they were saying that they weighed 30 kilograms each and that to have special chairs made because they, they were just too heavy to sit down in a normal chair and that to have these chairs with virtual hooks on where they could just stand and rest in between filming. Oh my I mean, God. Facts, yeah, facts around that and the use of magnetic boots um, when actually land on the event horizon was just due to the fact that the wire work was so draining and it took so long to do that um, they just cut all of that out with the fact the idea of magnetic boots once they get onto the spaceship. And also, uh, the honesty, I, I like um, Paul Anderson where he says that he was given the script off the back of um, Mortal Kombat and Paramount were rushing him to kind of, as you said, the 10 months to film this. Mm, yeah. That it, originally it was 130 minutes long rather than 95. And that he he was, he was kind of wasn't bullied, but he felt the peer pressure being a young new director um, to rush the film in and take instructions from Paramount rather than launch the, uh, the extended version of Director's Cut, which the film sadly got lost in a, I think it was a salt mine, some remote country, where they've lost all the uh, the extra kind of archive footage, so there can't be a director's cut. That's a massive shame. He said, it? It, "Yeah, he said looking back that he wished that he did do it the way he wanted to do it and put in the bits he wanted to do it, but because he was new and Paramount was so big and given him this responsibility, he felt obliged to take guidance from them, which he now regrets." I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's not the first. I mean, we could probably do almost a separate podcast, a series of them, on the amount of times that the production company have completely messed up a film. Yeah, yeah, and this is a perfect example of that, because this film, with the extra um, footage in there, I mean, on YouTube, there's a a few cut scenes that aren't really relevant, but um, it kind of adds a lot of kind of uh, character arc with regards to the different crew members, and also what they wanted to add in, was the effects from the torture scenes from the original ones from the Rent Horizon, and also the visions of the the current crew who are on there? But because they were so graphic, that they were told that it just can't get launched um, on the like the current scenes that he's putting in there because they were just so horrid. And when he shows um, photographs of them, they are it's very much like Hellraiser. It's absolutely awful. It really is pretty pretty grim. But nowadays, I suppose because the threshold is so different that you could actually just launch it and but I don't think people would mind really. I mean things have changed so much, haven't they? 
They have, they have. But I mean, I mean, I know that, um, and the, the 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 documentary that we both saw mentioned that they wanted it they, at some point. They wanted a PG thirteen movie. I mean, I mean, they were just obsessed with. Um, hello, dog. Hello, dog. How, how are the dogs? All good? They, yeah, they're really good. Yeah, I think there must be a uh, something in the garden that's actually making Molly go mental. Well, it's it's, it's good to know. It's, it's good to know she's got she's she's protecting her family. Stu. Well, exactly, exactly. Being a pain in the backside, and I'm sure the neighbours are loving us. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I've got. I completely forgot what I was, uh, I was, I was saying now on that on that tangent. You were saying what a good bloke I was, and you can't believe I'm that good looking. I'm not a model. I, I, I've, I've always thought that. I've always thought that. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, if, the, if this podcast had subtitles, that's what that's been going through my head throughout the whole hour we review every film. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were just talking about the. But uh, how violence is kind of more accepted in a... Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah. But but even to this day, as a PG-13, which will probably be over here at a 12A, um, uh, you know, you know equivalent to say it's a 12, but you've got to see it with an adult, potentially, or just a 12. Um, I think it, it's, it's... Even today, though, but by today's standards, they're limited. By, it would not work because you needed that horror, um, especially in the second half. You know, particularly they used it from, from the middle... Uh, all the all the all the all the way to the end, the horror and and uh, the, the quite gory horror as well, um for for the uh, um hell dimension etc. Yeah, I've if you, I've never seen Mortal Kombat. Have you seen that? I know you yeah, like those a, kind it's of a, films. It's like don't a, you? Yeah, it's like a twelve basically. You, you know, it's um it's nothing. It's nothing like the game in terms of there's no fate like gruesome fatality because they're quite the, the studio are quite clever. They know. Kids play the games, even though they probably shouldn't. Uh, even though you know, you know, it's got the you know, it should be made for the more mature audience. But they realised kids, in this respect, for more combat was their audience, and they made a film for that. Which at the time, many say at the t- it was at the time it was the best video game game movie made, much better than Street Fighter, and it actually followed the game, the brief story of the game, as closely as it realistically could have done with making a, a film and. Ultimately, it had characters that you probably cared way more about. I mean, if you compare Mortal Kombat to Street Fighter, and I know, I know you're passionate about Street Fighter, it, it's almost Oscar-worthy compared to Street Fighter. Not that it's a, you know, um, it's still not the best film in the world, but compared to Street Fighter, it's it's massively better. It's probably the way of putting it. It's not difficult, though, is it? I mean, you made no. me watch Street Fighter. <laughs> so, and that's something that I'll never forget. Ah, oh, well, there we go. So, there we but, go. Yeah, but um, the film back to Event Horizon. Yeah, it starts with the uh, um, in 2015. I always find it quite interesting, especially when you watch films like Terminator and things like that, of the visions that people have, what could possibly, what things will be like in 2015, and, if and how the human race has just disappointed them. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, none of them put Donald Trump to be president, but yeah, it says in 2015, um, the first permanent Connolly uh, established on the moon. Mm. I mean, that was quite interesting because we've got obviously the space station, but apart from that, we're nowhere near establishing any kind of life on any planet, are we? No, not really. No, unfortunately. <laughs> and it says in 2032, a commercial mining began on Mars, which. Uh, I doubt that'll ever happen in my lifetime. And it says in 2040, research ship Event Horizon, which explores the boundary of the solar system, it vanished beyond Neptune 
um, which was recorded as the worst space disaster. And then it comes up to present time, which is 2047. Um, and the first character you're really introduced to is Sam Neill. Yes. Uh, and he's, he was, we find out the, the inventor of the core um, machine that's on the event horizon spaceship. And he's dreaming of a, uh, a female who we don't really, uh, we don't kind of realize who that is yet, do we? And until later on. No, but I mean, I think, um, and in a good way, it kind of like lets the audience decide itself. It gives credit to the audience by not, um, spoon feeding them the, the, the information you need at the time where you can kind of put two and two together and, and, and you can really work out who that is yourself until you, who, who that female is. I mean, you get it confirmed later on, which is, which is, I think, quite a brave thing from the director and, and, and the story to give that credit to the audience because so many films potentially wouldn't nowadays. They all think the audience is thick and they need to spoon fed the, the details and not have them work it out for themselves. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, before we kind of really get into this, I mean, we didn't speak about the, the cast. It's got Sean Pertwee, who I actually love, a brilliant British actor. He really is. He plays Smith, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, who I always think of. And I normally slag him off. I, I, I shouldn't really, because he's quite entertaining. But Lawrence Fishburne is a much better version of Samuel Jackson in my book. He plays Captain Miller. Oh. Um, you've got Jolie Richardson, who's Lieutenant Stark. Sam Neill, who's Dr. William Meir. Kathleen Quinlan, who plays Peters. Richard T. Jones plays Cooper. Jason Isaacs is DJ. And uh, token gesture, Jack Nosworthy, or, or Noseworthy, is uh, Justin. Um, and then after the Sam Neill, it then goes to the, the spaceship, which I do love the name of, the Lewis and Clark um, spaceship, which we find out is the search and rescue spaceship. And uh, apart from obviously uh, Sam Neill's character, the rest of them uh, are on that search and rescue spaceship um, who have been sent out. And we find out that they've had their kind of leave of absence cancelled um, yes. to go on this mission, which kind of sets them to be pretty anti anyway, even before they've met Sam Neill. And I, I've throughout all of this, I mean, I like Sam Neill. I, I think he's a really good actor and he's always a very kind of straight lace, isn't he? Whatever he's been in. Mm. And when they did the interviews, I always find it interesting to find out what these people are like in real life. And apparently he's just constantly taking the piss out of everyone. And he's a real joker, isn't he? Yeah, you wouldn't, you know, through his roles, through his roles, the Omen, you know, you know, the later Omen series, which he was in um, Jurassic Park, which he's known for. And this one, which I've seen him in, never would have guessed that at all. No, no, it just seems quite uptight. But that's what I like when you get the behind-the-scenes things, when you find out that these people are the complete opposite of the characters, which are often kind of portrayed on the screen. Yeah. Um, and so th it starts off with all the crew in, like, a hypersleep. Um, and whilst Sam Neill's in hypersleep, he's awoken because he hears um, like female voices again. It's the same female voice which was calling to him at the start of the film. Uh, and he does something that I would never do. Uh, he actually, he kind of wakes from his hypersleep and then he goes to explore where these female voices are coming from. And instantly this film sets the tone really, really early on. And this is only about 15 minutes into it where he goes onto the bridge. Um, and there's a female sitting in the pilot seat and you know, for a fact, just by this film and by the music and the way, uh, the tone of this film, that when that chair turns around, it's going to be something pretty horrific. Don't you? Yes. 
and they don't disappoint. Uh, the chair turns around, it, and it's a female called Claire, who um, I believe is his either girlfriend or his wife, who was on the event horizon. Um, and she turns around in the chair, and she has no eyes whatsoever. She's just as hollow as where her eyes are. She says that I'm waiting to him. Um, which you kind of, there's a similar message from her and from different crew members who get affected by the core and what happens in this film. And when I first watched this, it really, and it, when it, I watched this when it came out, I probably watched it, it must have been 2000 or maybe 2000, 1999, something like that. It, I remember this film being a lot longer, I thought it was, but being really, really scary and kind of on the edge of your seat jump. And it didn't disappoint. It got me straight back into it. Yeah, I mean, we're introduced to Sam Neill's character very well, but the, the only um, negative, I think, about the first half of the film, which which I thought was really, really solid, was, um, and once again, comparing it to Aliens, but I don't know whether that's fair, Aliens, sorry, or, or even Aliens, the first Aliens film, is, is I felt that we should have, explored the characters a tiny bit more so we potentially cared about them more with, with what ultimately happened to some of them and i also felt that the writing of the characters they were i mean like, like unlike alien you you didn't feel like they're a tropey as such but in this one they almost seem to fit certain different stereotypes i don't know i don't know did you think i'm being slightly unfair on on the film, I mean, um, you had the take. You you had the uh, the, the the cocky the, the cocky black black guy, yeah, you know who's yeah. was almost a trope in Hollywood cinema. Obviously, back back in back in the nineties, they had Lawrence Fishburne's character who was um reminded me of almost of the you know the sergeant, what lieutenant, whatever out of Aliens, you know the yeah. the, the, the tough guy. But because we didn't really, it, I felt like we didn't explore them too much. And, and you know, other than Sam Neill and Lauren and obviously Fish Fishburne, we, we we knew very little about them. Um, obviously, you had the mum that cared about her child, you know, etc. Um, we didn't really yeah. know the we didn't really know the whole cast really really well. So when things did when things did happen, I, I felt like okay, maybe I should have cared more about it. Yeah, I can understand what. Yeah, I, I can see it from a certain point of view. Um... Because like I, in, I in Alien, they had that scene where they were all having breakfast and stuff together, and they were doing stuff together, which, um, you know, on the face of it, when you try and explain it to somebody, it was boring, but the way it was shot and the conversations they were having, which were not prevalent to the plot as such, but it just gave you a lot more information about the universe, about them. It almost looked like a big brother, you're just watching these people, you know, have breakfast, and we didn't really get that, that too much of that at all. That's what I'm saying. Sorry, Stu. Yeah, no, you're right. It was pretty quick into it. I mean, they meet Neil, um, Sam Neil's character, and then they're put in hypersleep, mm. and he d- tries to explain what the um, what the machine is on the event horizon, and then they pretty much find the event horizon, and that's it. Yeah, there's there's not much of a character arc, but then again, we don't know what was left out of the film, what Paramount thought was useful and noteworthy and what wasn't i mean there could have been similar scenes in that or or maybe he didn't want to go so close to the uh to alien and people just associate it with that as in if he did a a very similar kind of breakfast scene that people would just be saying well this is just a rip-off of alien and they'd lose the whole concept of what's actually happening i don't know no but i mean uh, i'm glad in this film when sam neil explains 
the purpose of the event horizon he obviously explains it in very scientific terms and thankfully the crew are about as clever as i am <laughs> where he has to explain it in the kind of layman's terms um and what the the ship does is it can move from one point to another in space um in the in the flick of an eyelid which obviously can't be done but the way it does it is it folds space and he kind of mirrors it to a piece of paper where if you want to go from one point to the other point on a piece of paper rather than do a straight line you fold the piece of paper you get to that point and then space opens up which is and that they don't actually know where this ship's been do they no so and, and we find out later on where the ship's been which is quite horrific but so he explains the purpose of the ship being somewhere that explores space on the outer rims of places where no one's been yeah. but um yeah you're, you're right with the characters but i i figured it was so fast moving being only an hour and just over an hour and a half okay that there was kind of non-stop action and it didn't give you enough time to to care about them i mean in hindsight yeah it's a bad thing but so what you're saying potentially it might be a bad thing but what, but then what he you kind of like reading between the lines is it could also be viewed as a good thing because it helps move the plot along at a at quite a pace. Um, yeah. Which uh, which which you know I can argue is not necessarily you know on the other side of the coin essentially if you're not going to do the character development it moves the plot along so there's very little standing here okay what's exactly going on here kind of stuff. Yeah yeah okay, it I was you, just. I get you. Yeah, this is that person. Are we going to live or they're going to die? Um, and you can see what they're like by their actions. You can, you can tell they're a close crew. Yes. Um, and that was, that was enough for me. If you see what I mean, I didn't need lots of chat. That's one thing sometimes in Alien that I don't like is when they're sitting around chatting so much. I like the the chase of the alien and being hunted by the alien. That's when I find it really exciting. And this film had that for me even though there wasn't a, an actual monster chasing them yeah um I, I just like the pacing but yeah so um and as you say that as you're going through but you see kind of uh, where they're scanning the crew just filming around peters is watching a video um on a tablet of her son which uh, is quite relevant later on um and sam as i said earlier sam neil explains the the event horizon and what it actually does and that's when they find the recording which would instantly scare the shit out of me um, of the crew. And it, it's only at the moment, it's only an audio recording, um, but it sounds like a lot of screams and it's quite fuzzy. And uh, uh, DJ Jason Isaac's character just hears a word of Latin, which means save me. Yeah. And I, I like that because it was very simple. It was done really, really well. It, obviously it was, it, it wasn't a difficult storyline to follow, but it, it got you involved straight away that you knew something was going to happen. And I, I don't need any more than that, to be honest. No. And, and I thought the use of, of the Latin rather than, rather than everything else was, was, was simply, was for me, it was quite significant because for example, like the exorcist and, and other films, you know, you know, of that nature, it kind of pointed you in the direction of, okay, this is a sci-fi, but almost more of like a classic horror demon hell kind of thing, rather than potentially aliens. Um, and that's yeah. like the clue that was for me, the first big clue it gave me as to as to where the, the film was ultimately going to lead. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it kind of, it doesn't drop that like ball all the way through the film. And when they get onto the event horizon, um, Peters is searching around 
and it's uh, a case of some of the crew i think sam neil and jolie richardson uh, are watching what's happening and she finds a, a corpse again it's with no eyes floating around which is pretty um, scary i mean there's one point when i think um that when they went into the event horizon i'm mean, interesting the doors had the numeral numbers 13 didn't they when that when it when it unlocked yeah. because, you know interesting i don't know why the thing is i don't know why you'd have the number 13 um etched onto there but never mind uh but but um the, when the hand put uh on Lawrence fishburne's character's uh shoulder which yes. kind of creeped me out i was like oh my god the first time you know and also what yes. i really liked about the frozen the the, the the frozen dead person was you saw they had a really wonderful shot of the of, of a facial shot um uh of uh i i always think it's rude saying facial because it's uh always but never mind <laughs> um yeah <laughs> so apologies but but obviously yeah the female character and then you had that silhouette black thing in the background kind of like going past so, you, so what i thought was really good you knew something was there and I, and rather than ruin like the jump shot i thought that added to it because you knew something was there you weren't too sure what and rather than play with your you know play with your head the next thing the next thing you saw was obviously what was behind straight away and it looked quite horrifying yeah it was quite terrible wasn't it yes and um and then they turn the gravity on, don't they? They did. And then you see the body, um, that floating body, fall down to the ground and it shatters. Yes. And, and it's quite interesting because apparently, when a uh, well, when they filmed this, and the guy who did a lot of the props, uh, he, he must have been quite a disgruntled employee because he placed a doll inside the corpse, which they didn't realise it can only be seen. Um, after the actual final footage of when the body shatters on the floor, you can see a doll and they had to cut away from that uh, when they finally kind of released the film. <laughs> yeah, I so, which would have been a, a big finger up from whoever did that. Uh, he's probably quite then, proud. Yeah, he must have been quite proud. Yeah, it's one up on him. But then Justin goes and finds the core gravity drive. Um, and upon finding a core gravity drive, which is in the event horizon, it's a. Again, the special effects aren't great in this, as in like the CGI. I mean, the makeup's flawless in this. It's absolutely brilliant. But the special effects do come across as being dated, especially when you've got items floating around in space. But I, I, he, Justin puts his hand in this, what appears to be like this water, doesn't he? It's like a vapor. Yeah. Um, and upon doing that, he gets sucked into this wall. And you find from what we've been told... He, I believe he travels to a different dimension, doesn't he? Yes. Well, we've been told ultimately, I mean, at the time you don't really know where, where he's gone. Um, no, uh, you just know, like, you know, he's gone through this liquidy thing. There's nothing other. So it kind of reminded me of Stargate almost. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause it, it's like a, a, a massive orb with these rings around it. And, the, and when they all kind of align that the, the core gravity drive is on mm. um, and it opens up a, a, a gate to a, another dimension and like an unknown dimension. And that's where Justin gets pulled into, um, unbeknown to the rest of the crew. But when they do pull him out, he's just completely, he's in a state of shock and you find out later why he's in such a state of shock. And I think that's, it's done so well. It's really, really simple. And again, it's, so much in this film until you start finding out and things become more evident that you're left wondering why and you want to know why and because it, it's all quite horrific isn't it it's all really really fast paced i mean he was pulled into that portal straight away then he was thankfully he was on a uh, like a tow rope 
and he was pulled out by I think it's Hoop, or Cooper who pulls him out. Yeah, but he looks like he's seen something completely horrific, and you don't know whether he's he's in a coma or anything. But you realise that because of what he's witnessed, he's just in a complete state of shock, isn't he? He's comatose. No, he, he and, I, and I think that adds that adds to the suspension. Uh, you, you know, going forward because. We don't know what it is. This gravity's driving. It, it look the whole thing looks completely alien and out of this world. Even though it's built by humans, obviously, you know, made to look like that on purpose. And and, and knowing what we know now, the whole thing actually looks quite gothic, almost, doesn't it? Um, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. And it's been labelled that a lot of times. And and what, I, what and what I also like is after that, he'd obviously you know potentially uh, see. Um, it was in so much horror, and while there, obviously, you know, his mate sees. I forgot from the top of my head what he, um, the guy that rescued also sees something, doesn't he? Which is out of the ordinary. Um, what? Um, what Cooper? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Cooper says that when he gets rescued, they bring him back, and the team have a bit of a debrief. And Cooper says that he pulled him out through this kind of vapor yeah, that was floating yeah. around. Uh, yeah. yeah, and Sam Neil, you instantly know that his character. Um, has got a hidden agenda because it, he explains what happened and Sam Neill says well that's impossible because if that happens it means the gate is open and the gate isn't open yes um, and he says that he was disillusional about the whole thing that he's seeing things and you don't know and, it, and he's very vague when they ask him well could this happen what's likely to happen and Sam Neill's instantly vague about all the facts saying if, I don't know. It, it can't be possible. I'm not too sure. And just walks away. When earlier he admitted to being the one who invented this um, this core drive, which is why he's come along in this um, this kind of this event, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And, and what I thought was nice about that scene that, 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 that you were mentioning is the fact that obviously, um, you know, no one else saw it. Who do they believe? And Lawrence Fishburne's character said, "Look, it's clearly he saw something." And that's what I liked about it, rather than all the crew saying, "No, he didn't see anything really." You know, and and they and and which I, which I thought was actually quite refreshing. And let's be honest, probably quite realistic in that in that kind of scenario, rather than rather than yeah. do the uh, you didn't see anything, and then they have to find out for themselves. You know, uh, after not believing. Yeah, I never I never kind of thought of it like that. That's a really good point. Yeah, Fishburne instantly sticks up for his crew, and because it's tropey, yeah, it's so tropey. He, yeah. he saw something. It's so tropey to do it the other way around, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and they could have easily dismissed it, and it wouldn't have been a. Uh, like a poignant point in the film, so yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's pretty spot on there. Well done to you, my friend. Oh, thank you, thank you very much. You're very kind. Thanking you. And uh, after that, Peters finds a clearer video of the crew um, when the gateway opens up, and they can hear screams. Um, and it's kind of it, it. It's still not that clear of what's going on, but it you can see a lot of kind of like bodies in there um, and people screaming. Uh, and kind of begging and people it sounds of people being tortured uh, which you find out what actually happens later on uh, and I, I do like the scene where and, and again it's another really freaky one and, it, and it's kind of it's made like that on purpose where Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill then go into the uh, the area where the orb drive is to find out if it's being powered and what's actually powering it, if it is actually on. Yes. And he goes into that green tunnel, doesn't he? Oh God, that was quite a really creepy kind of like pseudo claustrophobic scene. I thought for me, I thought that was horrible. Yeah. And Anderson said he used the, that bright green because it is quite a disturbing color. Mm. Um, and that's what he was going for. And 
this yeah this is it's done so so well and it's the tension in this scene he goes into Lawrence Fishburne waits outside uh and Sam Neill goes inside to check some circuitry and to find what is powering it the the drive if anything is and it's a bright luminous green and whilst he's inside the the lights go on and off on and off and he hears voices doesn't he yeah and it's Claire calling again um and it's just it's just fucking awful she's saying like be with me um like come here and i just expected every time the light went off and they went on again i expected her to be behind him which i think was which i think was the movie were almost like working as intended so to speak because i think it wanted you to be an ease because you were waiting for eventually it happened obviously you saw it but you're waiting for something to happen and it, and it didn't happen then you think it didn't happen again and and you you had like several you know it seemed like a long period but of definitely several seconds yeah. thinking oh my god you, you know and i thought it really kept you on edge along along with the green all that all that green which kind yeah. of reminded me of the matrix almost you know that that, that, yeah. that green they used yeah and I, and I thought that was a really really good scene Considering that must have taken quite a lot to set up and uh, to set up and uh, in the grand scheme of things, that's there was a quite a short scene for that amount of, of work in terms of footage and special effects. But I think it that's one of the scenes that definitely paid off. Yeah, and, and again, it's it's more and, I, and this is my kind of horror that I like, where it's more psychological, yeah. where you don't actually have to see anything. It's just having seen other films and the way it's set up and the, the, kind of the angle of the camera, the way it's filmed. And you normally see this in the films when you see like the, the kind of the star of the film and it's kind of quite a wide pan angle, you know that someone's going to appear behind and it was set up like that, but nothing actually ever happened mm. um, until that kind of the mo- the tension went. And then you thought, well, maybe that they're just kind of playing with our minds. And then she appeared. And mm. again, the fact that she's got no eyes and it, it, yeah, it's quite horrible. And whilst he's in there, Lawrence Fishburne sees a burning figure um, appear from around the orb. Um, and it's a male who's walking on water. Uh, and you don't know wh- why this happened. And again, it, it, he kind of opens up to the crew that he saw this. Then a lot of the other crew members open up about the, the kind of the things that they've seen. Um, and they now it's they realise that they're not just hallucinations. That something on this ship which is evil, which is perhaps playing with their fears or previous incidents that have happened to them. And again, when they put this to Sam Neill, um, he tells them that they're all wrong and that they're yes. just hallucinations and they're suffering from hypersleep possibly still and things like that. And he, again, he's shot down by all the like the crew say that we've been on so many missions. This, these aren't hallucinations. We're all seeing them, but they're all different figures. And I'd love that because Sam Neill does it so well. He's so straight faced. Um, he's not frightened just to shush a whole crew of people who are against him when the facts are against him as well. Yeah. And and, uh, it's probably end up going to be the, one of the main negative in the film for me, when we do the best bits and worst bits, it's not the Sam Neill character is, is I really felt though that during this period of leading leading up to the ultimate finale that that, that kind of like middle third of the film um, I really wanted them to explore because they, they compared it almost to The Shining as well didn't they in that documentary yeah Where, and I yeah. really I really wanted a straight latest Sam Neil is I really wanted to spend a bit more time with that character and watch him and have more of him slowly 
going crazy, going crazy or going there because we know he's lying, but it's almost like, yeah, he's lying. And then, and then, and then he's, he's like being moderately, he's been quite naughty. Um, but, but I, I wanted to see like a more, like explore more with him and, and see it like more, more progressively and spend more time with him. Maybe that would have, um, maybe that would have like, um, stopped the film. Cause it, as you said, it's quite a fast paced film. Maybe that would have had a negative effect, but I, I felt like I wanted more of that. Um, to fully explore the reasons why he's doing it, maybe the reasons why he thinks it. Um, that, that's just my personal opinion. I don't know what you think about that, those two. Yeah, I mean, you do see every now and then, which I, I do like, <clears throat> is that when, say, like the core kind of does reset itself and realign, it seems to have some effect on Sam Neill. Mm. And you do get shots where it goes to Sam Neill's face, like there's some kind of awakening or some message that that only he can sense so you do get that sense throughout the film like for instance when justin's being sucked into like the orb and uh when he gets like released from it again you actually do see sam neil's face um and it's he's got like an expression as if a certain message is being sent to him only him yes from the orb on this on this spaceship. So you do get certain messages, but yeah, I, I, I do agree. And also when Sam Neill's kind of shitting on everyone's ideas, it's quite, I thought it's quite interesting that DJ puts a knife to Sean yeah. Pertwee's throat. Yes. Definitely. And, it's, and I, I didn't know because of the lack of kind of character arc in these characters throughout the whole crew, whether um, Jason Isaac's character was, quite violent and uh, in that case or whether this was the effect that the orb was having on him and it was making him do things that he wouldn't normally do because he picks a scalpel up and puts it to Sean Pertwee's throat when he starts having a moan at Sam Neill for like saying what have you got us into you know a lot more yeah I mean, what did you think of that I thought I thought that was really good I thought that was um what I mean I mean this, and this is where the as you already mentioned the exploring the crew more I felt would have come potentially more into play and yeah, had more of a payoff. But I thought that was a really, I thought that was quite a good scene uh, because it could, because it showed that everyone was scared and, and it kind of like, um, and it was like the beginning of the end to ultimately what we saw, what happened to the other crew on the video where they were, they were all killing themselves or killing each other, etc. And it was like a, almost like a homage, a homage to that where you had this crew, this tightly lit group of friends potentially starting to turn against each other um and it all be and this is this is the point where for me it all began to go wrong and from then it just kind of like it's going wrong anyway but it after that point it was like someone hit a button and everything going wrong almost like accelerated at such a such a fast pace so did you put that down to to fear on like jason isaac's part or did you put that down to like the the ship having some kind of effect on him no i put that down to fear i put that down to fear, fear. however i know i i don't think the ship uh was directly having an effect of him uh, effect on him but i think i i i, I think i think it were i think what the ship was doing though was you could argue it indirectly had an effect because had the, had the ship not been doing that and everyone been so tense, so so tense, he, he he wouldn't have he wouldn't have done that anyway. That's that, yeah, that's why yeah. that's why I felt that was a human reaction to what was going on, going on, go, going on, going on with everything. Right, because I mean, as I was saying, the, the next scene is where Peters is alone in the uh, medical bay, and Justin vanishes. 
And then, and uh, Peter runs away. Um, she goes up onto the crew deck. She gets quite freaked out. Um, and whilst they're locked on, locked inside the bridge, and this bit kind of was a bit puzzling for me. It wasn't really explained. They're locked in the bridge, and you've you've got the the big iron doors there. Mm-hmm. And then there's like massive, like I don't know if they're hand prints or claw prints, start smashing onto the. Uh, the metal doors leaving kind of marks in the doors as if like a massive monsters out on the outside and sam neil gets up in like a trance-like state and says we need to open the doors and jolie richardson's the only one who stops him from doing it and that kind of for me i would have liked that explained a bit more yeah it was kind of like a scene that at some point definitely needed an answer but we didn't quite get it uh we didn't really ultimately have a for me, there wasn't a satisfactory conclusion on what was doing that. And, and, no, and, and, and the, yeah. Sorry, carry on. Because the ship works on people's fears, doesn't it? Yes. Like, and people's own individual fears. And for them to be some kind of big monster pounding on that door, leaving, like, kind of hand prints, poor prints, or whatever it was, on the other side of the door, due to the force. Um, but we don't know. What was causing that? It's it's just really strange because a lot of the the deaths in this film um, are kind of through people's own fault and kind of psychological led into traps. But this appeared to be not the case, did it? No, no. It's, it's, uh, I didn't really realise how almost out of place. Uh, that's a kind of maybe a bit unfair. It wasn't obviously t- until you mentioned because when you when you actually look at it from the film, it's, it it just seemed to be this random five well not even that random you know segment of the of, of the film that yeah look re- was really creepy and was quite good but i think once you finish the film and now we're talking about it it it, almost, it was almost like had we seen the director's cut there may have been a reason for this shot um but yeah it, you left i think scratching your head yeah yeah I mean, I mean from from that scene i mean justin locks himself in an airlock and i think this scene oh sets up the rest of the film brilliantly and uh and this is um, one of the most scary scenes i think for the me. acting's great yeah and it really yeah and, and what he says yeah he says um he talks about being kind of the other side in the portal and he says it shows horrible things but i won't go back there if you've seen the things that i've seen um you wouldn't stop me um and then he he kind of snaps out of that kind of trance and doesn't want to die and he's rescued by Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, there's a hell of a lot of tension in this, but the fear alone on Justin's face, uh, um, by what he says, you get the, the feeling that what he's actually witnessed or whatever it is when he was on the other side of this portal is absolutely horrific and sick and just beyond anyone's comprehension. Don't you? Yeah. And we get a, clue of what he probably would have witnessed when um towards the end of the film when Lawrence Fishburne has like a a preview kind of like a trailer of what was potentially going to happen you know near the end of the film um yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I thought there was it was done so the, the tension the fact that you had the countdown you saw his veins which was the, that practical effect was really really good um you know start to pop out the, the blood from his eyes it was I mean and the way they'd built it up to that crescendo where he was saved just in time, but he, I mean, goodness knows what state he's, you know, he, he was in once they saved him, though. But that was, um, for me, that for me, I think that was one of the most tense parts of the whole film. 
yeah, it was, it, it's, it doesn't really make sense, but it, it was kind of slow, but due to the tension, it felt really, really fast. And there was a hell of a lot of tension, a lot of things going on yeah. with regards to what he said, left you wondering, is he going to die? Is Lawrence Fishburne going to rescue him on time? And uh, all of that together made for a, a brilliant scene. And yet again, after that scene, they asked Sam Neill about the darkness, um, which Justin refers to. And he says it's nonsense. He says he was delusional. He's going through um, it was the pressure of the airlock and what was happening to him. And that there's nothing actually happening. But you beforehand, you know that there, Sam Neill's already kind of played his card because as Justin wakes up, that's when you get the flash to Sam Neill's face as if something's calling him, Yes, um, which is the orb in the spaceship. So we know that Sam Neill has got a hidden agenda already um, and that the, the crew know as well. Lawrence Fishburne, whose character is absolutely brilliant, um, he instantly knows there's something wrong and Sam Neill can't be trusted and that they want to get off the ship. And, and I, I think it's great. And that's when, um, from this scene, um, Fishburne has a, a vision of his crewmate who he left behind on a previous mission. Um, and his crewmates kind of on fire. And straight after that vision, he kind of has flashes um, very, very quick, but I think um, they're the, his own crew's faces, and some of them are wrapped in barbed wire with their eyes open um, or their eyes out, uh, and they're all covered in blood, aren't they? And he knows that something's wrong because he even says something like, God help us, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Um, Which he pretty admits that they're all fucked, and I should imagine he comes across as someone who's seen like, horrible things on previous missions and rescue missions. That even even by the look on his face in this scene, that this is like something he's never seen before. I mean, at any point in this film, did you feel that all the crew are going to die? I did. But did um, yeah, I, I I thought that they're they're all going to die. I just thought the film was going to be they're all going to die and they're going to float away, and at the end of it, another rescue mission will come and it will kind of go in cycles. If you see what I mean. Oh, that'd be interesting. That'd be because I, I never like it when everyone dies. I I, I always think it. The, the few times it was done, for example, in zombie films and stuff, it's okay, clever, original, but it just it just annoys me. And I, I normally feel like it's a lazy way of writing and 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 concluding and concluding a film. It's a really for me, it's an unimaginative way. But when you mention obviously the cycle and stuff, I know obviously you know spoiler alert, but then no one you know they don't as far as we're aware they don't all die. Um, but uh, but yeah, but, but getting that feeling that they're all going to die and that depressing feeling, I thought was really really good because normally you think, nah, they're not all going to die, etc. You, you know, but I really felt, um, I, I really I really felt at this point as you're explaining and and, and from, from then on that that was going to be the most likely scenario. <clears throat> yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Um, uh, and following on from what Fishburne says, and Fishburne's character is someone who doesn't kind of deal with fools lightly um and he's very much in control and he's very professional as the, the captain of the ship he's chatting with dj and he says that he believes the ship knows people's fears and secrets mm. um and that they're all going to be in trouble and at some point they're all going to have to face their own fears and the situation that comes with it and dj says that he's listened to the latin what you heard earlier and that he got it wrong and it's save yourself from hell. That's what he believes. 
so you're getting a lot of references as you said earlier it's quite gothic it's like hellraisery but um rather than going on to the science fiction side of things it's it's kind of heaven and hell save yourself from hell um and that really kind of confirms your if you haven't seen got enough messages for this film already that there is something really really evil about this orb and the places it's visited yeah no no definitely so the crew from there um watch a, a really nice home video of the previous crew um who a lot of them are kind of sodomizing other people they're killing them oh, they're eating God, them yeah some of them are pulling their own eyeballs out um and the last shot of that video is the captain walking up to the camera um who you saw about half an hour ago look really happy really looking forward to their next mission um he walks up to the camera and he's got each eyeball in each hand and it's because it's a, a, a flick because they had to cut a lot but because it's very very quick um it's quite horrific isn't it and it's really full-on i mean there's people strapped to to poles um who are just naked wrapped in barbed wire with just blood dripping down their faces and it's just awful isn't it yeah and i know on the in the uh well what could have been at some point the director's cut but it wasn't um i know they they had shot more footage there but i like the way they did it it's really really quick shots to the point where you could kind of make out what was going on, but you couldn't, like, you know, fully make out what was going on. But it, it was so disturbing, and it went to the next disturbing thing. And I thought the way it was done was 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 really really good. Rather than focus on it for a long time, one particular shot, it just kept chopping, chopping and changing, and giving you so much information. And normally that's a bad yeah. thing, but I think in respect to this, I thought it was really really good. Yeah, and sometimes leaving some bits to the imagination of wondering what the hell was actually happening. Um, is often better because your mind can play out such horrific scenarios. And uh, upon seeing that, that's where Fishburne has finally had enough and says, right, what we're going to do is we're going to leave the event horizon. Um, and he says, you can't leave it. He goes, well, don't worry about it. When we get far enough away, we're going to fire some missiles at it and blow the whole ship up. <laughs> uh, and upon this, which I, I really do like, um, the event horizon kind of it's as if he hears what Lawrence or Lawrence Fishburne said and what the plans are that he starts to drain power um from the the uh, rescue ship yes um which in the the scenario plays out that because he's draining air and he's damaging the ship the, sh- the people have got no choice but to abandon their ship um the Lewis and Clark and go on to the event horizon because that's the only place that's got oxygen and in doing that trapping all the crew on the event horizon. And I really, really like that. It's a very kind of Amityville, isn't it? It's like a haunted house and it's got control of all the people inside. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the way you compared it to Amityville. It was a, it, it, I mean, it was almost like, you know, more, more doom and gloom and more that, and more questioning how they're going to get out, you know, of this scenario, if at all, what's, what, you know, what's going to happen next. Yeah. And, and again, the, the kind of photography of this is so good because when, Fishburne's having that conversation with Sam Neill. He's having it in one of those really, really long tunnels, um, which separate the uh, the lifeboat ship to the uh, the orb on the main event horizon. And Sam Neill, um, half of his face is he, where he's standing is in the shadows. Yeah, and it really gives him a sinister look because once does. he says he's going to blow the ship up, Sam Neill just walks backwards and he like, he kind of vanishes into the darkness. And it looks really, really evil. And as I said earlier, he's kind of played his cards with regards to what side he's on. Um, 
and it's it's just great and it, it it kind of carries on from there the pace now is just it's just so fast i mean the next one is peter's again she's in a medical bay why the fuck she's in a medical bay i really really don't know um and she has vision of her son um who's in this uh kind of tent with like maggots on um his legs and the son she turns around and next she sees the son um and she follows him and she's running around the ship and again it's very much like the shining when you see the two kids on their bikes you follow her running around the corridor looking at the sun and again very similar to um the shining Mm -hmm. there's something about children in horror films which is quite spooky and terrifying yeah i don't know whether that's just me or not yeah no i thought yeah my mother half uh uh, exactly the same. Exactly the same. Gets really, really freaked out when anything, anything, anything involving children. So yeah, no, I completely agree. Following because you know nothing. You know that sun's already there. You know nothing's good going to happen. And, and sometimes you think, well, you know that's a. Uh, it'd be nice to uh, once again to explore the characters more and how much she cares about her son. We know obviously she does, being a mum. But why follow that? For example, because you, we, we, yeah. you, you know, um. And maybe once again exploring the characters more may, may have given an answer. I don't know. Um, but then obviously she does follow it, which is you know ultimately to her to her demise. Yeah, she falls down a uh, like a massive shaft and ends up in the uh, the area where the ship's core is. Um, yeah, I don't know how. I don't dies. know how she ends up in the area because she falls down the shaft. But where the shaft is, where I thought it was relative to where the ship's core is, there are two completely different places, and it. For me, it just made. I just thought she. For me, it was almost like she materialized there. I know we didn't see her do that, but she just ended up there. And I thought, um, because I, I, I found it difficult to know where she was in relation to the shaft. It didn't make that much sense to me. I don't know about you. Uh, I don't know. I just, as you say, because she was was kind of running around the corridors, you got a bit lost with regards to any direction that she was uh, going no, in. That's true. That's true. Um, and I suppose because it was the, the ship's core that was making her do this, it, maybe it was only right that she actually fell down and she died next to it. Um, and Sam Neill short, uh, it just comes in there and sees her on the floor. Um, and for an instant second, he shows a bit of concern, which was quite surprising. And instantly from there, again, he hears voices mm. um, of Claire saying, sorry, and um, like, follow me. And he has a uh, a vision of following going into a bathroom, and he sees Claire, um, and she's naked in the bath. Yes. And you see her cut her own wrists with the um, cutthroat razor that Sam Neill was using earlier at the start of the film. Um, and he's again saying, "Sorry, I left you. It wasn't my fault. Please don't blame me." Um, and then he's in the he's in the bathroom and it starts to kind of gouge his own eyes and then it flicks back to where he's next to the orb, which is turning, uh, which means the gates are opening. Um, and he's pulled his own eyeballs out, which mm. again, it's a really horrific scene. And you kind of, and you understand why, why the other crew who have been found and why his wife now in previous visions doesn't have any eyeballs. Because he said, well, where, you, where you're going, which reminded me of Back to the Future line in a little bit. Where we're going, you don't need rolls. And he says, where we're going, you don't need eyes. It's, it's all about the sensation. Yeah. And, and it kind of like bookended the, the, the beginning of the film and, and, and this part where, 
where Sam Neill completely delves into chaos, obviously by taking his own eyes out. Um, and it completely explained, obviously, if you, if you, if you needed it, um, the, the fact that it was his girlfriend slash wife. Um, if if you hadn't known, yeah. you know, earlier, which I think most people would have done, but yeah. Yeah, so what they decide to do is grab some oxygen from the uh, event horizon in a way of trying to trying to escape. Um, and they kind of mention the explosives earlier. Sam Neill mentions the explosives in the long corridor. Mm. And uh, what's happened is Sam Neill's removed a lot of explosives from the event horizon. And he's placed one in the rescue ship. And Sean Pertwee's in there. And he suddenly gets a message from Fishburne that says, get out when the explosives have moved. And this scene... Um, I think Sean Pertwee is he's a, a really good actor and he has a real screen presence for me and he, he does in a lot of films that he's in. Uh, and I really liked him. Um, he was in Gotham, wasn't he? Oh, he's brilliant. He's Alfred. Brilliant he, in Gotham. And he brings a new, I mean, yeah, and in Gotham, he brings a completely new Alfred we haven't really seen before, which I thought was rather than try and copy, obviously, Michael Caine's, uh, you know, the guy from the year, you know, the Batman, Batman, you know, Batman and Batman Returns, the, um, Michael Keaton days, he brings a yeah. completely new aspect uh, to that um, and really makes that character his own for Gotham. He's one of the best things about that show. Yeah, he's real. In this um, in Event Horizon, he's quite a cockney geezer. He's down to earth and he says what he thinks. He doesn't care who it upsets. Mm. And when he's searching around in this bay um, for the explosive and he pulls his cover back and it, you see the explosive of blood on it, it's on a countdown to four seconds already. And it's just that look on his face um, where he just knows he's going to die. It's got the, the kind of worry, concern, sadness, horror, all mixed oh, into yeah, that, one expression. Yes. Yeah, that that face was brilliant. Yeah, and, and then it just blows it up. Um, and you're kind of, you're fucked in a way. And due to that blowing up, um, what we see is that Cooper's on the outside of the the spaceship, the event horizon, trying to do repairs yeah. um, to the spaceship and to oh, their yeah. own ship as well. So they can escape. And in, in the explosion, um, and he's kind of the only one who brings any kind of element of comedy with his one line as Cooper. He's floating away in space on a bit of debris um, uh, yeah. away from the oh, event horizon. Oh, I know, I know, I know. See, for I mean, me, I didn't like, the jokes. It was a negative. Normally where it can be a positive, like in a buddy cop film or something, you know, I think, yeah, I can, I can understand that you might want a bit of, um, after what's just happened, you might want a bit of comedy, but if you get the way this was done was completely wrong. The way you went, Oh God, I can't believe this. Really? Yeah, like doing a little commentary to himself where I'm not being funny. Given the situation. No, I don't think you, most people would probably wouldn't be saying that. Yeah. And then no. the way he went, I'm coming to get you, motherfucker. The way he said it, you know, when he, yeah. when he, I, I just, I, I nearly did a six to you, because because it, it, it really took me out of the film. I know we suspended suspending our disbelief, and and for a lot of films we watch for escapism, you know. But yeah. but the rule that the, the universe it, it put in was was something that at the time I was invested in, and this really it was a bit like when you have a dream and you get a slap around the face and wake up when you think, oh no, I, you know, I was dreaming. And someone wakes you up and you're having a good dream. You know? I felt yeah, exactly... The timing that's wasn't exactly good. how it I just felt. wasn't needed. No, that's exactly how yeah. I felt. It was like a slap in the face for me, just that bit. And through the whole film, you've not had... And it's not a negative at all, but you've not had any humour at all from any of the characters. It's very tense, very fast-paced. It's quite serious. They're dealing with a serious issue. 
and then all of a sudden you've got um, Cooper floating through space to his death, and he starts making kind of one-liner jokes, very much like the Wines brothers do in their oh. the shocking films they make, and it just wasn't good timing. Maybe in another scene, um, for a bit of irony, it, it, they could have got away with it, but in this particular scene, in this particular moment, after what's just happened, it just really, it just wasn't needed whatsoever. I mean, Sean Perchman's character has just died. Um, yeah, I mean, I can understand the theory on it. Joke. You know, something horrible has happened, let's lighten up the tension a bit. But I don't yeah. know. I, 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 you know, the way the, the way it was done, I don't know a better way of doing it, personally, but the way, it, yeah, you're right, it was just crap, let's say. Yeah. And then, then it goes from kind of jokes which aren't necessary to DJ being in the medical bay and again he's alone I'm such a pussy I just wouldn't be, want to be alone on this ship anywhere even having a pony having a poo I wouldn't want to be left alone um, and he's he's in the medical bay and Fishburne says that Sam Neill's character's out um, Dr. Weir's out you've got to be careful and instantly he says don't worry about it I can look after him um, and I'll take care of him if I see him that you see Sam Neill's character, Dr. Weir, grabs um, Jason Isaac's character, DJ, by the throat and starts throwing him around. Um, And what happens to him, again, this scene was cut a lot. Um, He's put on one of the uh, medical, the tables in the medical bay and you just see um, Sam Neill's hand picking up various scalpels and knives and things like that. And Jason Isaac's face, kind of shock and horror Mm. and pain. Um, And then... Uh, Lawrence Fishburne goes to look for him and he finds that he's been hung by hooks very much like um, Hellraiser above the uh, table in the medical bay and causing all his intestines, all his innards to fall out and just remain on the medical table. It's really horrific scene, isn't it? It's it's awful. It's like something out of hostel, isn't it? That bit. Yeah. And it's so much so that, um, Jason Isaacs wanted to buy that um, item. He wanted it mm. afterwards because it was such <laughs> a memorable scene. And they said that he couldn't have it in case it's used in another film. And he said, "Well, how many other horror films or sci-fi films are going to want a Jason Isaacs um, like latex doll with his innards ripped out?" And <laughs> they, they wouldn't let him have it. I thought that was uh, that was quite funny, but yeah, it's it's just awful. And again, the fact that they went into more detail about him being. Uh, opened up and his in has been removed um it would have been the director's cut would have been so good on this film it's such a shame that no it one will ever shame, get to see it, 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 it yeah yeah and it, it, that is a massive shame um i mean yeah. this, this this film and i i think it you can you could argue it is now but it's it's, it's definitely like i think a cult classic almost or getting yeah. to that I, you know getting there now anyway uh to the to to that point and, and i think it's one of those films i haven't actually I don't have any stats or facts for this, but it's, I think it's one of those films that probably did a lot better with regards to renting and people buying the DVD and stuff, and even now and renting it, than it probably did in the cinema because of word yeah, of mouth, etc. Millions and millions at home video. Yeah. It really, really did. Um, so Fishburne is obviously trying to evacuate and he's trying to find Sam Neill's character, and in doing so, he finds a um, doctor or Lieutenant Stark, Jodie Richardson's. And uh, in the bridge that again, they come across Sam Neill, who's sitting in the captain's seat. Um, and she discovers and he discovers that his eyes have been removed. And again, the dialogue here is just so good when he says, what have you done to yourself? You're, why are your eyes missing? 
Uh, he says, well, we're going, we don't need eyes. I discovered a dimension of pure evil and chaos. <laughs> and just the way he says it, it's, you really believe that whatever is out there is for once, which doesn't really often happen in films is just so evil. You can't comprehend or even picture in your mind. Mm. Um, apart from seeing pictures, which they flash up on the screen in just mere seconds of what, is really facing them and what is on the other side of that wall, which is so horrific. And, and I love that. The fact that you can't even really leave it to your imagination because it is that bad. And I think that's brilliant. And it's said so well, um, the lines are delivered brilliantly by a lot of people in this film, but when they're talking about the evil and the look on the Sam Neill's face with no eyes. Um, so obviously he can't use any expression at all. It's just the way he says it is brilliant. I think it's great, and it leaves you kind of with goosebumps. Disturbed. Yeah, yeah, it, it really, really does. So, and from that Hooper, our favourite comedian at the moment, he reappears on the outside of the spaceship, um, having kind of used his jetpack on the or the oxygen to blow himself back to the event horizon, which we find out is a complete waste of time. And Sam Neill fires like a, a harpoon at the window which then decompresses it or does it compress it i never know which one it is Decompress. it's not a good thing i know that <laughs> yeah and everything yeah. um gets sucked out of the uh, the bridge um and including sam neil's character which uh dr weir which i was really surprised about because having had such a build-up in this that for him to just get blown out into space um or sucked off that I was really sucked surprised. Off. Were you surprised you were sucked <laughs> off? <laughs> what? <laughs> it must have been watching two very different films at this point, Stu. Um, was you I surprised? Bridge. I don't know what, why you found that funny. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying a, to describe a tense moment in the film. And I'm, you're, clearly, I'm you're, immature. I'm immature. What did you think of that? What was going through your mind then? Um, what was going through? Well, uh, completely so <laughs> indifferent to what it is now. I can, I can, I can assure you. Um, what was going? Well, <laughs> it was, it, it was go- ultimately what it was going back to the fact that I thought everyone's going to die. It was just a case of how each person's going to, going to end. You know, going to get it. And, Did you uh, ever think in this film Sam Neill would be sucked off at all? <laughs> no, I did not think the man from Jurassic Park. Would be sucked off. Would be sucked off. That's all I know. Right? The guy from Jurassic Park. But yeah, exactly. Um, no, and we think that's the end of him. To go. Pardon? It was a quick way to go, really, wasn't it? For all that build-up and the sinister You're being sucked off. Um, yeah, the role we played. Yeah, you're just being dirty now, aren't you? You've been filthy. <laughs> you started this. So, I, I and again, whether it's due to the lack of character arc in this, Hooper dies, uh, or Cooper dies, and you just don't care do you he doesn't die does he does he die no he's at the end of the film isn't he, he get, they find him at the end I oh think he dies. yeah of course yeah yeah which, oh, which we'll think. But, but i wouldn't yeah, have, i wouldn't have minded it yeah um yeah, i maybe preferred isaac's character I, I wanted him to live but no yeah interestingly so um a well, point you mentioned obviously about about um things being cut and things jason isaac's death scene um i know you've obviously played in it but um Apparently, in one of the shots, he's meant to be still alive, and then Lord Fitzgerald's character shoots him in the head. You're right. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, I've literally got the um, like the IMDb facts. Uh, you know, because what prompted me, I thought, okay, 
Uh, so I scrolled down and because and, I'm sure I remember seeing more about that particular scene. Yeah, which which I think would have worked a lot better. You, you know, and it just shows you what the director's cut could have done. You know, because him still being alive and seeing that and then Fishburne killing him also says a lot more about that scene, doesn't it? It adds so much more weight. But there we go. Yeah, that would have played out so much better. The fact mm. that he has gone through so much pain and Fishburne has to then kill, even yeah. though he's going to die anyway, kill one of his own crew. That would have played out so much better. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Um, but as you um, rightly corrected me, Cooper then appears in one of the airlocks. He's managed to get around. Which is a shame. Um, which is a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's after Fishburne has um, saved Richardson from also being sucked out of the spaceship, um, uh, which kind of goes back to the fact that earlier on he mentions that one of his crew died and he had to go and leave without him, that he makes a point of that he's not going to leave her um, in this room to die. Um, and he risks himself to save her, which was uh, quite a nice touch. So yeah. they decide to blow the corridor, um, which will separate the ship, and they can escape in the lifeboat, which is the other end of the ship. Um, and when Fishbone decides to go alone um, to prep all the explosive, you pretty much know he's going to die, don't you? Or did you not think that? Uh, yeah, I did, to be honest. I thought he's done that. The minute he made that choice, he knew he was kind of like, making a sacrifice to save the rest of the crew. Because it was, it was kind of, for his character, it was all about like redemption, wasn't it? The fact that yeah. he left his crewmate. Even though he had no choice, his crewmate, he says that he was burning alive um, and that he had no choice. It was either everyone dies or he, he has to leave this crewmate. So his character is more of redemption than anything else. Um, and whilst he's heading off to prep the explosives, uh, again, you get callbacks to so many different films and you get the blood scene um, where I don't know where this blood actually comes from. Um, but Cooper sees all his blood from appearing above him and him and uh, Jolie Richardson get covered in blood. Yeah, and it was yes. really, really clever the way they did this because when he looks up at this um, light, it's got this long um, corridor of lights, this one single light that goes all the way along and you see this liquid going across and because it would have taken so much time uh, and very difficult to actually put that much liquid, what they did was cut out a, uh, a shape that was kind of looked like um, liquid being poured down the light. And they put it on a piece of string and they just pulled it above him. Oh, okay. So it looked like the whole light's been filled up. Yeah, I remember um, that, yeah. Yeah, which was quite clever. Um, so whilst they're trying to deal with that, Fishburne then f again goes to the orb. Um, and he's kind of, by situations that he's faced, it's almost as if he's placed there by the ship, isn't it? Because there was explosions and he yeah, runs... Yeah, he, he had to run down the recorridor, which which was nicknamed the meat grinder, uh, supposedly. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. Uh, which is that, that, that thing that separates the gravity drive from the rest of the ship. Apparently, um, it's meant to represent, I'm looking on here, uh, this, the nine circles of hell from Dante's poem Inferno. There you oh, go. There, there's there, so there many you go. references, aren't there? Yeah, and, and as we saw in the documentary, n none of the uh, actors could run the whole corridor. Because quite rightly, it would make you feel really uneasy. I mean, I've been to um, the fairground that, that have these like crazy houses and they have these kind of rooms, and it's really, really unnerving. Yeah, they've got that. Um, I made a real cock of myself, which isn't kind of unusual for me. I went to the London Dungeons. Um, oh, yeah, it was the, when yeah. I, better half we were first married. Okay. And you walk through that corridor that spins round, or he's got mm. the same illusion, hasn't it? Yeah. And that also uh, happened at Thorpe Park when they um, had the 
when they originally had the first version of the No Way Out road coaster in the dark that goes backwards. They had a massive. It's awful. It's not, but it's not. Yeah, yeah it's. I and that one, and this is. I mean, this corridor, essentially for the actors, it's thirty foot long. Um, yeah, uh, which, I walked down there and fell over it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't even. Did you? Yeah, I did. I looked, <laughs> yeah, it was real good first impressions after just being married. <laughs> Let's go down here. This is really great. And I went down there and fell over. <laughs> I, love the London, <laughs> I love the London Dungeons. I mean, would you take um, your, your oldest to it? Uh, I'd I probably take my oldest to it. 11 or 12, uh, ideally. It's just about 12, yeah. Um, but my youngest, if I never wanted him to sleep, I'd take him. So. Okay. Because the Jack the Ripper walk is really horrific isn't it yes. it's it's brilliant it really is set with so much atmosphere it's great it is it is it is it is it is, it is, it is. i really like i really love the london dungeon it's brilliant yeah anyone who ever comes to london from anywhere go to london dungeons it's absolutely fantastic yeah, it's it now, really is it's now, moved. it's now moved to um next to the london aquarium oh has it really because yeah, it used to be at london bridge didn't it it did indeed yeah yeah, yeah there, there we go they've they, they changed a few bits but there we go there you go. Facts from James about absolutely, London. Absolutely. <laughs> so Fishburne's at the, uh, the the orb. He's at this kind of a uh, this part of the ship where the the demons are, um, and it's quite interesting because he sees his colleague on fire again walking across the water. Uh, he looks at him and he says, "You're not real." Um, he says, "This doesn't happen." And when he says that, uh, he disappears, but the burning character turns into Sam Neil who it's got it's just absolutely amazing makeup um he's naked from head to foot obviously you don't see his winky but he's covered in these various scars um which are kind of just random they don't actually set any pattern which was done on purpose by the makeup artist because they didn't want people to try and read too much into it and give any other message out no but he's covered he's got no hair he's covered in blood with scars around his body and he kind of did eight hours of makeup, taking it on, and it was about, I think it was seven hours of removing all of this latex all over his body, which he had to, which was applied when he was naked. Um, and it just looks amazing. It looks absolutely horrific, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. It's really, really scary. Um, when I post this out, I'll uh, attach a photograph of Sam Neill, just how he looks. It, it really does look quite impressive. Um, and he says to, um, he has kind of a conversation with Lawrence Fishburne's character about the fact that where he's going and what he's going to experience is going to be absolutely horrific. Um, and that all the other crew are going to be sacrificed as well. And yeah, no they, they one's belong to the ship, etc. Yeah. And it's just done so well. And Sam Neill, I, I just couldn't ever picture him if, from seeing him in various other films as you say like in Jurassic Park to being this character who looks so fucking freaky that um, of what he looks like now that he, Lawrence Fishburne manages to get the detonator and he explodes the ship uh, the ship blows yeah. up the corridor does doesn't it no you're right but the, 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 this, this whole scene I think was both really good and really bad I know that sounds almost like I, I, I'm, I'm purposely contradicting myself the makeup was amazing what Obviously, the way Sam Neill was explaining it was amazing. The one thing that I felt this scene didn't need 
and it, and it ended up being a negative. It's, I honestly felt there was no need for a fight, a proper fight. It was a, kind of like a James Bond, Captain Kirk kind of moment at the end of, uh, the, or, or you know, Captain Kirk at the end of the Star Trek episode where he's got to fight the bad guy. And, and and kind of win almost against the odds. And I, th- I honestly felt you we did not need that. I know he had to get the detonator somehow, yeah. But I honestly felt we didn't need that couple of oh. minutes. It felt like um of like punching and, and stuff and around showing how strong Sam Neil Sam Neil was. You know, you know, Doctor Weird's character. I honestly felt that for me that was the actual fight bit was a negative, and it was kind of like a blot on what was. Other than that, once you take that away, a really really good scene. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I thought it was a, it was a. It kind of didn't bother me too much, but it was a pointless fight because he'd seen Sam Neill float out into space. So obviously that character in front of him wasn't really Dr. Weir. Mm. Um, so I don't know kind of what it was and why he was trying to fight it. But as you say, it was kind of it just led to the necessity of him having a detonator, wasn't it, really? But yeah, it, yeah. I, 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 think I agree. It wasn't a pointless way, scene. But yeah. Yeah, it, you could have done it. Well, I suppose any other way you'd have done it. The idea is you would have got from other films. It would have been a bit tropey, but maybe. Yeah, it seemed a bit pointless. But he did um, blow up the the corridor, um, which kind of left. It's quite interesting because it didn't actually kill Sam Neill's character, and it didn't kill Lawrence Fishburne, did it? No, they they went to hell. We're we're assuming. Yeah, yeah. Which, which kind of when I only noticed that. Maybe because I'm a bit slow today when I watch it for the second time. The way the ship disappears uh, right, in a black hole rather than... Yeah, mm. yeah, because you, you see a ship blow up and then you see Stark and um, Hooper looking out the window and uh, kind of the remaining part of the ship where Fishburne and uh, Sam Neill is, it's as if it kind of lightning hits it and then a, a massive hole opens up and the ship just vanishes. So, yeah sadly and regrettably for Lawrence Fishburne's character for eternity he's going to be tortured in hell yes which which isn't too nice no. um and from there it goes 72 days later um the, and I like the end of this film I, I thought it was it kind of left you left it open really that they are rescued very much kind of in the style of alien at the end of it mm. um whereas Cooper Justin who's kind of alive and uh Stark uh, when Jolie Richardson's character she comes out of um, like hypersleep and she's on the floor and you see these rescue characters on with their helmets um, and he kind of picks her up and says, don't worry, you're okay, you're okay. We're here to help you. And when he lifts his visor up, it's Sam Neill's face. Oh, that's um, really, I again, thought that was really good, uh, literally. Yeah, I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And I was kind of expecting it because the visor w- was blacked out and you didn't see the face. I know, but no. um, and then it ended. And it, it kind of left it open and I was wondering... Was this a vision from her? Had well, for, well, for me, something no, it didn't end then because then she woke up and then the actual team were there, yeah. So, calm so, her down, calm her it, down. That's when it ended. Was it a dream or I don't know? What do you think happened? Well, I think, I think it's up to the uh, as far as you know, I think it's one of those things because we know there's probably not going to be a sequel to it anytime soon. I, I think it's one of, which is a shame in a way. Um. Which is and it and it's one of those it's it's one of those things I think which is left open to the audience and for me I I, I just thought it was I just thought it was a dream, um, but uh, because but the only reason why because we it was the other part of the ship that went to hell. But not she them. never, but she never saw Sam Neil's face when it was all scarred up. No, 
So oh, I didn't really think about that. Uh, how That's could she see Sam Neill's face like that? Because yeah, no, you're right. I, see, I'd, originally. I'd almost rather them have done that to Lawrence Fishburne's character. You know, um, then yeah. you know he sometimes get rescued, and then it'd be Sam Neill. Then you know, you know, he's in hell. Then ending rather than because I think that would have been. Um, a bit more not left to the audience you kind of like would have almost automatically said well they're, they're in hell yeah that's quite interesting but it but it's uh, are they in hell because the, 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 uh, if they were in hell it just didn't make sense to me because the way it was very obvious that that the um the gravity you know the the, the part of the ship where sam neil and yeah. launch fisher account what disappeared and what we you know where, yeah. where you suspect so for me i think it was a dream but yeah you may you raise an interesting point i can't argue with that the fact that um for me that just confuses things rather than anything else i mean i mean what did, yeah. what did you feel i don't know because again the first time i saw it i thought it was a dream sequence it was only when i watched it today uh to take notes on it that i kind of thought about it a lot more um on the second viewing and i thought well how can you dream about something you haven't seen that you've never actually witnessed? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. So, and but again, you clearly saw, and I made sure you see the black hole open up and the the ship's core drive actually go into the black hole. So, I don't know. It, it kind of it added a bit of more confusion. If it was the Sam Neil's face without any eyes, and you think, well, yeah, it's a dream. She's just freaking out. But I, I don't know. It can't be because there's no. I don't, oh, I don't know. It's, it's really difficult to tell. It's really confusing. It kind of it made the ending a bit confusing. It didn't ruin it at all. No, because um, you probably won't you won't watch it and think about it as deeply as as we do probably. But um, I just thought it was yeah, it one last fucking jump scare really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to end the film, I didn't like the credit music. That upset me. But there we go. Yeah, well, he wanted Orbital to do the music for this. Mm. Um, but Paramount didn't want some group who'd never been heard of um, to do the music. So uh, I thought some of the music was pretty Paramount good. But, yeah, know best, apparently. Yeah, Paramount, yeah, Orbital, who are world famous, yeah, back in the 90s. Yeah, they knew nothing. But, um, but yeah, so how would you score the film? How would you rate it? Would you recommend it? See, I was going to give it a three and a half. But, 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 mm. but, but looking at it, I'd probably end up giving it a four, simply because um, I really enjoyed the film. And I think, I think in relation to the budget they had, when you look at the, the, the 10 months they had, um, I think they made, uh, I mean, even hadn't I known that, I think I would have given it for, but, but I think that it was such a good overall type acting with, with basically a few, a few niggles that I only really noticed it properly on the, on like the second and like the, you know, the, the, the 0.5 on the second or third time of actually watching it. And it's the first time I watched this film was about six months ago, funnily enough. I hadn't seen it before. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and which is why I think I'll give it a four because I thought it was really, really good. It was really, really good with, with, with just a few niggles and, uh, like, as, as I mentioned, like the fight scene at the end, a couple of the Trevi characters, the fact that I think I felt some of the characters you didn't really care about, the two main ones, you know, played by, um, Jurassic Park guy and, uh, and, and, uh, a pre-Matrix Morpheus, I thought were really, yeah. really good. I mean, they were the best character, for me, they were the best characters, um, in, in, in the film, along with obviously Sean Perry, who we didn't spend much time with, but I think what Sean Perry did with the, with, with the limited time we had with him was fantastic. But, you know, they, you know, those three I felt were the crux of the film, um, and Isaac was, was quite close there. But the others I didn't really care too much about. Um, but uh, so I've explained obviously the worst bits, so, and I think the, the best bit was it was quite an original idea. It would have been so easy, as you mentioned, to just do another alien film. 
Um, which, once again, I can, the first half, obviously compared to it. Um, and, and I thought it was quite brave to do a kind of like the shining Amityville, Amityville horror in space, which, which was, yeah. which felt original as well when I watched it. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree. I, I, I really, really enjoyed this film and I, I didn't get bored watching it on a second time. I, mean, I noticed a hell of a lot more. Um, I'd give it a really solid four. Uh, I think it's just such a shame that due to circumstances, and as I said earlier at the start of the pod, that being a new director, that he felt obliged to listen to Paramount and do what they say um, for future, future opportunities purposes, that um, there wasn't the ex- director's cut um, straight after, because I think that would be even better. I, I think it would be absolutely brilliant, but for the budget, for the the time, um, the fantastic um, cast they had for this, and he brought a lot of people in from um, who were on the Aliens project as well. So he had some really, really good advisors around with him. Um, I thought the film was absolutely brilliant. Um, I think the the best bits is just the the scene, the um, the storyline's brilliant. I think the the special effects are amazing. I, I just think the atmosphere of the film where it's, it's really creepy. A lot of it's very psychological. Um, I think that's absolutely brilliant. It's so fast paced as well. Um, I think the, the negatives are very, very small negatives such as um, like the fight scene, which is kind of not needed. The, mm. the silly one liners um, whilst floating around in space. But because of the film is so quick, so intense, um, I think you can easily kind of overlook or forget about those those scenes, and I just think the film's it's just brilliant. And some of the special effects, yeah, it has dated, but this film um, in itself as a story and a plot hasn't dated at all. And I think it really, really holds together. Um, and for anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, um, I know obviously we've ripped it apart and we have kind of talked about the whole film and they know what's going to happen, but it's still really, really worth watching. Yeah, um, I, I totally recommend this to to anyone who who likes a. It's not really a science fiction, so you can't even say it's a sci-fi film. It's a, as you said earlier, it's a gothic horror film that just happens to be set in space. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, so that is Event Horizon. Um, and what we're doing now is another bonus podcast um, because we're wonderful people. But we are going to talk about we haven't don't do Flower anymore because they all disappointed us. Oh. But we are going from DC to Marvel. Uh, in a couple of days' time, we will be talking about The Defenders on Netflix. Yes, yes. I, I mean, I, I mean, we, yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that conversation because it's, it's um, something that I ultimately like. With a few, I ultimately really enjoyed it. With a few very strong negatives. <laughs> yeah, and I'm really looking forward to that because on our last pod, um, which I can't even remember what it was, what we last reviewed, what was it we last we spoke about? Was it SWAT when we reviewed SWAT? Karate Kid is the last one we've done. Which Karate is, Kid. Which by the time you hear this, you would have heard. Because it's the next one yeah. to go up. Um, but yes. Exactly. On the end of Karate Kid, you said that there are a lot of things you really liked about this, but on the same kind of feeling that you disliked. Um, we've not spoken about this whatsoever. So I'll be getting your feelings kind of on the pod as we record it, um, which I always like because we're bound to disagree on a lot of it. Well, but, um, I'd yeah, probably it's say really, really good. I think we kind of have like a, most films we have like it's normally like seventy thirty where the seventy percent we agree 
and and the thirty percent we normally disagree on certain on certain things. Very rarely, I think we will we'll be uh, completely opposed uh, until, for example, we do big Trump or little China. But there we go. Well, and and the next one, um, which is must be coming up very very soon, um, Harry Twatter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. The, the, the 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 problem is the, the minute that's announced on Twitter, too, you're going to be in the minority. You are going to be oh. the Donald Trump of the Harry Potter of the Harry Potter well, well, review. The week before um, we do Harry Potter, I will put another poll out um, about who likes Harry Potter. Is it a good film? Yes or no? That's all I'm going to ask on Twitter and just see how many people reply. Um, it'll be quite interesting to find out. But I already know a hundred percent of one of the characters you are just not going to like because when we watched a previous series um <laughs> yes that uh i enjoyed and a lot of people loathed and they really didn't like it but i seem to be really in a minority on this one uh, so it's gonna be really really interesting to find out um how this person how this man affected um your views of the defenders and uh because i we will disagree on that uh, a lot uh, so, okay it'll be really really good it will be he will be there hopefully we're we're still friends afterwards i'm sure he will be because i want to kill harry potter so um <laughs> yeah, we'll have to discuss when we'll do harry potter and on the end of defenders podcast we'll let you guys know of what film we're going to be uh Either praising, cursing, but definitely reviewing next on uh, the film reel cast. And there we go. Okay, see you next time, guys. Cheers.